Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing app for small businesses that saves you time and gets you paid faster. Join over 3.5 million FreshBook users and try the service for free for 30 days of unlimited use at FreshBooks.com. Be sure to let them know that you heard about it on TWIP. This week on Twip, Nikon announces the D800. 3,000 photos are uploaded to Facebook every second. And an interview with photographer Bambi Cantrell. It's Wednesday, February 8th, 2012. And this is Twip. And welcome back to TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show are Mr. Martin Bailey, Miss Nicole Young, and Mr. Sill Arena. Hello, guys. How you doing? Hello. 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 All right. Let me see. Who hasn't been on in the longest? Uh, I think, Sill, you have the you have the uh, the honor of going first to tell us what you've been up to since you've been uh, not on the show. What's going on? <laughs> First, I want to know why I've not been on the show, Frederick. Um, I don't know no, actually, why. You keep turning us down, Sil. Come on. <laughs> I had a hectic travel schedule. I just got back um, last night from Cincinnati where I was a speaker, one of 16 speakers at the Photo Pro Expo that David Zeiser organized. Oh, cool. And it was it was really a great event. I just want to plug it. If you're in the Midwest um, or looking for some place to go <laughs> The first weekend of February next year, you should check it out. Um, it was an amazing lineup, not because I was there, but uh, you know Scott Kelby came in, Vincent LaFleuray came in, wow. uh, Lindsay Adler came in. I really, really enjoyed her presentation, and um, so I gave a, a talk, a couple hour talk on uh, you know speed lighting, small lights, and did demos. That was a lot of fun, and so. You're lucky to catch me because next week I'm hauling off to New York to do a talk and then follow WPPI in Vegas. Wow. Yeah. I'll, I will be there this time finally. I know I say that every year, but this time I'm going to Vegas for WPPI. Nicole, what about you? Are you uh, what have you been up to and are you heading to Vegas for WPPI? I, I'm not going to Vegas for WPPI. I, I wish I were just because I want to go and see the expo i've never been to wpp i'm not a wedding or a portrait photographer so right, i don't right. really see you know there's no real like draw for me to go or pull but um it would be cool to go just to, to meet up with people because they're like everyone i know seems that like they're going but i just i don't really have the time right now i don't have um what are you resources. like what are you like doing photography or something uh something like that <laughs> oh my gosh i have so many things going on right now i feel like there's like a whirlwind in my apartment every single day i wake up i'm like a million things to do but it's it's good i like to stay busy and actually, over um, WPPI, I'm actually going to be going to Dallas. Ironically, right? I can't go to WPPI, but um, I'm going to Dallas and Phoenix for the Kelby training 
uh, events that Scott Kelby has going on there. I'm just I'm actually going in uh, as a representative of on one to do the demo instead of the booth and stuff. So as a representative of what you broke up a little bit of on one one software. Yeah. I think I'm having a really bad Skype connection. That's okay. That's all right. I'll make you repeat stuff. If Skype edits you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. On one software is sending me out there. I'm a partner with them. And and so I'm going to be going there to just kind of demo their product and, you know, talk to people about it and all that stuff. So very cool. Not in the future. All right. And coming to us from, Tokyo, Japan, is Mr. Martin Bailey. Hey, Martin. Hey, guys. It's good to be back. It's good to have you. What's uh, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Uh, I, I've, I'm really excited. I've just finished um, wrapping up a, a deal with my friends over at Aurora Expeditions based in Sydney, Australia. They're, they're the guys that I went to Antarctica with last year. Mm-hmm. And I've just basically given them my second half of 2012. I'm going to be on eight expeditions to the Arctic, Russian coast, what? and Antarctica. You need any help with that, Martin? Oh, <laughs> you're killing me here, man. Yeah. So, so what, what I've done, I'm, I'm sorry, blatant pimping this stuff here, but I um, just put a page together that you can get to at mbp.ac slash Aurora, A-U-R-O-R-O-A. And it basically has the, de- the details of these eight tours. Uh, well, tours, they're expeditions. Um, uh, we go to the, to the Arctic twice. Uh, we go across the Russian coast. We go to uh, Kamchatka. The pl- there's a, there's a, a, a peninsula just above Hokkaido where I'll be with my own gr- group next week. And that we're going up there to see the, uh, the Ring of Fire, all of the volcanoes, the Bering Sea, voyage to the end of the earth. And then we go to, in, in November, I'll be going to South Georgia and An- Antarctica three times in a row. So, <laughs> so Martin, like, I, think, I think you're going to have to commission someone to create theme music for you. So whenever <laughs> you're, you're like this Indiana Jones adventurer that's like running around the planet, you need your own music and soundtrack. Yeah, you and need the that. map with the, you know, the plane drawing the lines. Exactly, the little yeah. dotted line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though, there's only, there's one... Um, there's one condition for me going, and that is, you know, I've basically given them my second half of this year, and I'm sure I'll be on all of these. But if anyone does, see, you know, if you go to the, to the site and you're interested in any of them, make sure that you either use my booking form or or when you book, put you in the photography option. Um, because if, if nobody signs up for the photography option on any of these, <laughs> I'll be sitting at home twiddling my thumbs. Yeah. So. Yeah. We need we need people to actually be signed up for the photography option on the expeditions for, to make to make it you know worth them having me on there. So so Martin, make, make sure that you like in the show notes. I know you're in the the show notes right now. Make sure you put a little note in there for the when they put this blog post together for Twip Two Forty that uh, yeah. you you explain all that so they can make sure that that gets into the blog post. Will do. Thanks. And of course, we'll link to all that from the blog post and make sure that there's no confusion about how to do that. Great stuff. Thanks a lot. All right. All right. Before we continue, I want to give a quick nod to one of our sponsors, Audible.com. We're brought to you by them. Um, They're the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. They've got more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, and they feature audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. And for listeners of this show, TWIP, they're offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to kick the tires of the service. And one audiobook that I'm listening to right now is called Search. It's by John Patel. 
John Patel. It's called Search, How Google and Its Rivals Rewrote the Rules of Business and Transformed Our Culture. Now, I, this is this is one of those books that just sort of – it's almost like Pirates of Silicon Valley. It just sort of fills in the blanks of – a service that you've been using forever and now you can get like some of the dirty laundry and sort of the things that happen behind the scenes to get the service Google, which is now a world sort of dominant search engine or the world dominant search engine to where it is today and how they started and how they did deals with Yahoo and how they did, you know, where, where did Sergey and Larry, you know, their input on how the, the company evolved and all that stuff. It's just like, I think it's required listening or reading, if that's your your thing, for folks that are interested in anything to do with the internet. Because Google is becoming synonymous with the internet. So I think if you if you care about this stuff and where it's been, you got to know your past to know where things are going. So I think you should get a definitely listen to it. It's called Search. It's from John Battelle with a B. We'll link to it in the show notes. And it's really interesting. So if you want to check that out, you can check it out for free. Uh, just go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. And you can check it out. So uh, that's that's what I'm listening to at this moment. All right, guys, let's uh, let's jump into the news because we got like four interesting stories to talk about today. The first one, I know I'm going to get like ho-hums from this crew because all of you are cannon shooters. But Nikon introduced the D800 and the D800E, which I have been waiting for for like, you know, I don't know, 100 years? Maybe 200 <laughs> years? <laughs> I, I was waiting for this when I switched to Canon. Yeah. This is the camera I wanted when I was like, you know, I had a D200. I needed to upgrade, but I didn't quite want the D700. Yep. This is what I wanted. Of course, I wasn't going to wait that long, so I ended up, I didn't know, nobody knows, right? But I ended up switching over and and now it's here. Now look now at it's you. Here. Now look at you. So yeah, I've been waiting too. So I have the D seven hundred and D seven thousand. Those are my two go to cameras. And ironically, the D three sits in the case in uh, in the bag, and I haven't used it. It's sad. I think its batteries are discharged or something. But uh, the D eight hundred, I think, is going to take the place of the D seven hundred and the D three. It will become that my my main camera, and then the D seven thousand will be my backup. So, what is the D eight hundred? So, there's a couple things that we that I want to talk about with you guys. So, just generic photography things, not specific to Nikon. Um, but they're saying that this D eight hundred is the world's highest effective pixel count of any camera with 36.3 million pixels, and it's got their new XB three image processing engine with a 98. The 91,000, am I reading this right? RGB sensor for overwhelming, I don't know if it's overwhelming, overwhelming <laughs> definition and image quality. This is like, I think the show notes writers copied this directly from Nikon's page. So it's got a little bit of fluff in there. Uh, but then the, the, the D800E is identical to the D800, only they removed the uh, anti-aliasing filter. So all cameras, all digital cameras have a little anti, have an anti-aliasing filter above the sensor to make the images smoother. So they basically made another model without that. So you can do that in post-processing if you want to. So all the detail that's available from that sensor comes through, you know, good or bad. You know, so you'll get some more A and anti, you know, some some sort of artifacts and stuff in there. But you you get to deal with what you want to, you know, you get everything that the sensor can offer. So. The what I wanted to chat with you guys about is, okay, 
we've been talking about forever that the megapixel race was over, right? We were saying that, okay, it's now all about low light sensitivity and, you know, all that stuff. And now Nikon is coming back in with this D800 and they're saying, hey, look, 36.3 million pixels <laughs> are, I mean, is it, is the race over or are they like starting another race? So what do you think? Where do you fall on this? I'll continue to say that I don't want more pixels. I want better pixels. I don't care. You know, if, if my camera had a thousand pixels, if they were like magic pixels, <laughs> I'd really be happy. So, you know, the, the fact that the sensor. camera has, you know, <laughs> I mean, seriously, the fact that the camera has 33 million pixels, and I did read the Nikon marketing copy, which, of course, you know, is written by guys who earn their living by selling stuff, or at least yeah, of course. Yeah, writing the guys. copy, and they say, this approaches medium format. Um, you know, it's like, all right, well, it's one thing to read it. It's another thing to see it. So when these cameras get into circulation and people start shooting them, let's just see how good those 33 million are. I'm not convinced. I remain a skeptic. I'm not saying this is going to be a bad camera. I think there's some elements of this camera that are, are great for all of us shooters, Nikon or Canon, particularly if you shoot motion. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'll be happy to talk about those, but in terms of, you know, the pixel wars, I think it is just a whole marketing hype. Uh, I remain skeptical that pixels is going to be better than 24 million or 18 million i would tend to agree with you i it's i almost put in the category of like hey here's a new ocean it has 20 more gallons than the old ocean (laughs) it's like (laughs) do you really need more gallons in your ocean now because there's so much in there nicole what about you are you are you lusting after this d800 now is it going to lure you back to the dark (laughs) side no it's not going to take me back to nikon i'm way too invested into canon than i have more invested than i ever was when i had nikon but i okay megapixels I shoot stock photography, so the megapixels isn't a bad thing as long as you know the image quality is still good. I wouldn't necessarily buy it because it has thirty six, you know, or thirty six megapixels. Yeah. But uh, I don't think it hurts the t- especially. And the, this camera is not for um, sports photographers or people who need high speed photography in really really low light situations. It's more. It says specifically it's for studio and landscape photographers. Mm-hmm. Photographers, you can take. If you take 36 million pixels, this is how I see it from a stock perspective. If I take 36 megapixels and I fudge my focus by a little, I, I can size 21 megapixels and it's sharp as a nail. So, yeah. you know, that's the kind of stuff that I see. Like, do you need it is what you're saying? Like, I don't think 36, you need it. Yeah. If I wanted to shoot medium format megapixels, I would buy a medium format camera because it's a completely, it's, it's the same amount of megapixels. Maybe it might even be fewer megapixels, but it's a different quality. You know, your depth of field is different. Your, you know, your ra- aspect ratios, everything's different with medium format. So it's kind of, I think it's kind of silly to say it has as many, but you know, and like Sil said, we have to see the images. We're not... We're all, all right, just- Nik- Nikon shooters, you heard it here first. Nicole S. Young said the D800 is silly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I would buy it. If I were shooting Nikon right now, I would I would probably, especially if I'd had a D700 for, how long has it been out? Like three years? Yeah. It's yeah, been a totally. long time. I mean, like, I'm waiting for, the thing that I see with this, the D800, the D800E, which I actually kind of like the E, I would probably end up getting that one if I were to, if I had to choose mm-hmm. one of the two, um, because I want that sharpness. Yep. But I see this as kind of a well. I wonder what how 
you know, if Nikon is doing this, I'm anticipating very, very soon. And I have no backing to that. I'm just like, my gut tells me it's going to be, you know, it has to be soon. Now, <laughs> like, Nicole, Skype is editing you. And they said, you <laughs> you said, I'm curious what's going to happen with, happen with. And then, oh. they, then it edited you right after that. <laughs> So the, I'm curious to know what you said. The 5D Mark III. That's is that. Oh, okay, got it, got it. So like, I I think it's going to happen really soon. I don't like I said. I have no backing. I I have no resources to that. And nobody tells me anything. But um, I want to see what Canon is going to come up with if this is what Nikon came out with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good. I mean, this is this is competition, right? So so Martin, what about you? I know you you allegedly bought two of those brand new Canons that were announced what a month ago. Uh, is this is this new camera got you lusting after the dark side, or are you happy with your? Yeah, I'm I'm selling. You're selling as soon as I've handed over my money. I'm going to sell them and buy a D800. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Now, I I think that it. <laughs> I think that it's uh, you know obviously I I like Nicole said I I'm going to be waiting to see what happens with the 5D3 or 5DX or whatever it's going to be called, um, but I I think that you know pixels once you're at the you know, they're more around 20 megapixels. I think you're fine. Um, but there have been times. I mean, I, 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 I made a deal um, last month where we couldn't use some of my 12 megapixel images because they weren't big enough. We had to what? reselect. Yeah, we had to. Re- well, I mean, granted, the images were going to be posted, were going to be printed five meters wide. But, <laughs> but it was like. Yeah, it can be a limiting factor in that twelve megapixels isn't enough. Twenty-one was necessary, so I I think that, um, like Sil said, the as long as they're good pixels, um, you know, I think it, I think the general thing is is that we we probably all will would handle more megapixels as long as they're good quality pixels, and it's like I mean for me with the, with the one DX, I'm really looking forward to getting that, and I'm probably only going to buy. I've got two on order, and I'm probably at the moment with the way things are going, only going to get one of those and wait and see what the five D three is because I think that I mean the rumors have it that it's going to be twenty two megapixels, so that's not a big a big jump from from the current one, yeah. um, but. I think as long as they're good quality pixels, and it looks as though the D eight hundred is giving us that, especially with the E with the, without the low pass filter. But I I think that if they're good quality pixels, then I, I can handle more because there's always going to be, you know, the, the bigger prints. And if you don't need the, if you know that you never say if you 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 shoot for a website or a newspaper that doesn't really need that huge um, megapixels, then. Sure, or or even like like we were saying, um, sports. You know, you need the faster frame rate. The One DX is going to be excellent for my wildlife work. Yeah. But when I but when I can can work at five frames per second instead of ten, twelve, or fourteen, then I I probably would prefer more pixels as long as they're good quality. Yeah. Now, Silarina. So more pixels or good quality pixels is one thing, but it looks like, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, again, I, I don't have any information that you guys don't have. I've been reading the website and, and reading blog posts and looking at videos, but it looks like they, they being Nikon, watched in waiting and, and sort of looked at what Canon was doing with regard to video and said, okay, okay, we got we to gotta get these guys. Let's, let's build a camera that has that is purpose built for for digital video. Now what, I know you've looked at the the video features in the D800. What do you think? I mean have have they hit it out of the park? Is it is it now the de facto video camera? 
I don't think they've hit it out of the park. I think they've just made some really common sense moves. Um, you know, for instance, uh, and, and granted, when the 5D Mark II was introduced, it was never thought of as being a cinema machine. It was thought of, some, you know, something that a war photographer was going to send back a few seconds of footage yeah. from the front line to be aired. Um, until, so Vincent, until Vincent got his hands on it and made revelry yeah. <laughs> and changed Canon's marketing plan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite true. So it's among the things that the D800 has, um, it's got the ability so that you can plug uh, a headset in and actually control the the sound levels, which the 5D Mark II does not. It's got the ability so that if you plug in an external monitor, it's not going to make the LCD on the back of your camera go blank. Um, and all of those things are, you know, problems with the 5D Mark II because it was really workarounds that um, enabled some of that functionality. I think the most exciting aspect about the D800 when it comes to motion, at least according to the marketing copy on Nikon, it says that you'll be able to plug in an HD recorder. Now, I don't think that that means we're going to be at the point where we can record raw video like you can on a RED. Um, because, and the data coming off of a RED is huge. And the memory requirements and the processing requirements are huge. But I think that this is, for the first time, in uh, a camera body of this size and at, at this price point being about $3,000, a really, really interesting development. I have to believe that the guys at Canon are working really, really quickly <laughs> to, if they've not already done so, to figure out how to incorporate this functionality. Because I frankly think that this video functionality will become the de facto standard. Right now, the um, early release or pre-release models of the D1X, Canon's new warhorse for 6000 bucks a body, uh, you don't even get a headphone jack on that because yep. they decided to put in a... You know, uh, an Ethernet port because they thought that the need to get data off the camera would be more important than the need to plug in a headphone. I'm yeah. not convinced that we're not going to see some sort of workaround on that either. But I think it's really uh, a good development for both Canonistas and Nikonians who like to shoot motion that has this functionality. It makes sense. It's raised the bar. And frankly, what's good for a Nikon shooter is in the long run good for a Canon shooter if that forces Canon to bring more functionality to the market. Absolutely. You know, and I'll tell you, as a Nikon shooter, you know, we've been sort of eating crow for the last several years, right? Waiting and being second-class citizens with like, oh, wow, you know, Canon, <laughs> Canon folks are shooting, you know, episodes of House and all this other stuff. And we uh, we get a rock, you know, so now <laughs> it's nice. It's nice to have at least be in the game, you know, instead of sitting on the bench. So, well. Frederick, you know what? The, the th that's the thing that you know. We 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 all end up eating that crow stuff for a, you know, while we're um, waiting for the for either company to catch up. I remember being totally envious of the the Nikon world when you had all of this incredible ISO capability initially, mm -hmm. and Canon was way behind. So I think that obviously the the thing to to bear in mind, like Nicole said earlier, you know, you you don't really necessarily need to jump ship. Um, when when the next best thing happens, because they they they're just playing catch up. Both companies are going to be Canon's going to come back with something that's better in some ways, and then Nikon will beat beat Canon again. And it's like it's like one of these old films. With, How's that? You you know whatever. You know people like slapping each other about the faces and throwing their gloves down on the floor and stuff like that. It's yeah. just 
it's always going to be that way. Yeah, no, so, I agree. And, and and we win yeah. as consumers, right? So right, it's, it's, right. it's a leapfrogging and the consumers get to sit back and sort of let them compete for our dollars. And in the end, I mean, in the end, the reality is when you look at this stuff, if you, you look at a D700 or even its predecessor, you know, the D3, D300 or whatever, these are amazing cameras and you could do some really cool stuff with them. So we're... We're just being spoiled brats when we're looking at this stuff and like, oh, I need a D-Android with all this crazy, all these crazy features and low light sensitivity and 36.3 million megapixels to go out and take a picture of a flower, you know? So, you know, in the end, it's, you know, it's all in good fun, especially if you can afford this stuff, you know, but most, uh, I would argue that most folks can't afford or don't want to put the three grand down towards a a D-800. And what I say on the show a lot is you don't necessarily have to. I mean, if your passion is photography, you can get really cool images with not a whole lot of gear. I mean, look at what Ansel Adams had to work with. So, and his images are arguably some of the best in the world. So don't mm. don't get hung up on the gear. But you know, I'm a I'm a hypocrite because I'm hung up on this D800 because <laughs> I, <laughs> I want it. But then again, I do understand lighting composition and all that stuff too. So. Anyway, uh, let's move on to story number two. Um, this is a big one that I wanted to talk about. There's a couple different angles on this one. First of all, Facebook.com. Congratulations to all you folks that work at Facebook uh, on filing your IPO, which is supposed to be historic. And uh, the largest IPO in history, I think, is what they're they're calling it in terms of when this thing goes public, the company will dwarf many other companies on the planet just overnight. So it's really interesting. But from a from a photography standpoint, the when when a company files to become publicly traded like Facebook has, they essentially open up the kimono and we get all in all kinds of interesting facts and figures about that company so that investors can make intelligent decisions on whether they want to put their money in that company or not. And one of the things that came out of Facebook is that 3,000, this is an interesting statistic. So 3,000 photos, 3,000 photographs are uploaded to Facebook every single second. 3,000 photos are uploaded to Facebook every second. So since I've been talking, 10,000 photos have been uploaded. (laughs) It's more photos than that, Frederick. Yeah. I mean, mean, so I wanted to put it to you guys and we'll still, still, we'll start with you. So those three thousand photos. What does that mean? Facebook is going to become? Are they going to become? They're going to do the Flickr thing and do a deal with, or become like the world's largest stock agency? Or conversely, and this is where I fall, is like, okay, who wants to see pictures of your cat or you partying at the club last night? So you know, three thousand photos, and maybe three of them are interesting photos. So what, where do you fall in that, Sil? You know, I. I mean, I, I use Facebook for more nefarious purposes. I don't upload anything like photos of my cat partying at night um, <laughs> with you, Frederick, of course. Hey, um, we agreed not to talk about that. That's right. We did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know. I don't. Th- I, I sincerely believe – let's put it this way. I sincerely believe that most of us who are active on Facebook have never read the terms of service – and we have no idea what rights we've given away when we've elected to hit that upload button. So I don't know. Can Facebook become the world's largest stock agency? Yeah, sure, maybe. Other, you know, as long as you don't need much resolution out of those images. Yeah. Because let's face it, you know, they've capped, as I understand, 
the size of the images that can go up there, which obviously limits the size. So maybe if you're trying to make wallpaper for iPhones, okay. Yeah. Um, they could be a stock agency. Are they going to be putting a photograph on the front pay, front cover of Time magazine? Probably not. But I don't know. I guess that's even possible too. I don't know. Um, Nicole, you you um, are – you're an iStock shooter, right? Mm-hmm. So when you when you hear that 3,000 photos uploaded to Facebook, even if 98% of them are crap, it's 3,000 photos every second. If Facebook and looking at Facebook's terms of service that says basically, hey, you know, and TWIP listeners, you can argue with me if you want to, but hey, Facebook, we can do whatever the heck we want to do with your images once they're on our service. Does that pose a threat to like bring it down to like a reality level? Like you and you, the check that you get from iStock, do, do you think like if Facebook flips a switch that you're going to see that dry up? I don't think so. And it's only because if you have to filter through 98% of crap just to find like a few okay photos, yeah. which even on Microstock sites, there's still, you know, a bunch of, you know, not you can say it. crap. You can say it. crap. It's, it's the internet. You're allowed to say crap. Again, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, on any stock site, there's crap on any stock site, you know, traditional or, uh, you know, micro stock. Yeah. And it's, it's not Facebook Flickr where it's a website for photographers. And a lot of the people on Flickr think they're better. A lot of people probably think they better are better than they are. So they upload mm. a ton of photos. And then, but within all those photos with all these people that say they're photographers or are photographers, there's still a very small percentage that are good enough to be on Getty. So I don't, you know, as a designer, unless they want a bunch of people's, other people's kids that aren't model released and cats that have horrible shadows and a lot of grain, <laughs> then yeah, maybe they'll look on, on Facebook for a stock photo. That's only like what, eight, I don't know what the sizes are, but wait. Yeah. No, no. You know, I think that it's just, you know, a lot of it is just uh, you want to go the easiest route and you're want, probably going to go to a stock site where you can actually search and filter your images easier. Yeah. Now, Martin, Martin, what about you? So when you looking at it from the perspective of Facebook is wasn't and people that join Facebook aren't presumably looking at it as, OK, here's a place where I'm going to upload my images and get them seen by people and get get substantive feedback about my composition, exposure and lighting and all this stuff. I mean, is it is it just you know? Are we go barking up the wrong tree, thinking that they might venture into stock photo? I think that there'd be an uproar if they tried. Um, and as as we've already said, you know, the 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 quality of images that get thrown up onto Facebook is pretty low. And and I would argue that ninety percent, ninety eight percent is a pretty optimistic percentage. <laughs> um, it's like you know that I I see photographers on Facebook that put the odd good image up there because they, you know, they're using it to, as a social media site. But the majority of people that are not photographers, they're just up there to find their old school friends and, yeah. and to, you know, to, to arrange the next, you know, stag party or something. It's like, it, that, and, and that's really all they do. And then they upload 50 photos from said stag party that, you know, you can't really use in a stock sense. So, I think it's it's a social. It, it's probably the most social site of of the sites of the social media sites that are out there. And so, I I, I think that it's you know th- there's potential for that to happen where where they run off and and start to try and license the images. But like Sil said, you know they're they're only pretty small. You couldn't do a lot with them. 
and I think that the uproar that happened if they if they ever got used in anything really high profile would be huge. And you know, the, and, and the, the stock price that they that they finally get that's going to shoot up is would would half. So, yeah, and I think that I think that there's a, there's a very low chance that they'll do something like that. Yeah, can you imagine you're driving down the highway and you see a picture that you uploaded to your Facebook account or that someone uploaded to your Facebook account of you drunk or something on a <laughs> billboard? <laughs> That's when you sue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. sue for what? Sue the They'll say, "Hey, look at the terms of service." You know, and that's what Jack Jack Resnicki. I interviewed him about copyright and this sort of thing, and he has a hard and fast rule about uploading any sort of image to Facebook in particular, just because of their terms of service with regard to your images. So it could but happen, I, right? Well, you I, know, I think that the, the model release issue that, you know, I see that all the time. Not like I don't see incidents all the time, but I, you know, I have to deal with it all the time. You have to, if I saw my photo somewhere where I didn't sign a release for it, I would be after either the photographer or the company that, that used the image yeah. because I didn't authorize them to use my face in a commercial manner. And that's a, that's a completely different story, you know? So that's where you'd run into. You run into like if they ever did. I don't think it's ever going to happen on Facebook. But if for some reason they ever did, then you have a lot of people who are very uneducated about model releases and copyright and all these things, and they wouldn't. You know, that's just a whole hurdle they'd have to leap in order to actually get it on the. You know, get it rolling. I don't know. It's just scary. I think I think photographers really need to just print out their terms of service and just sit down with a cup of coffee and read through them and, and make an intelligent decision. Cause I'm like, if something, if something crazy comes out, like if, if Facebook looks, I mean, there's nothing crazy or nefarious in my Facebook account, but if I was to say run for office in 2020, you know, <laughs> hypothetically, if I was to run for office in 2020, there's some things in my Facebook account that uh, the opposing party could probably use against <laughs> me. I'm just saying, you we, know, we need we need to erase the comment about um, Sills cat as well. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like Frederick loves cats a little bit too much, or something. <laughs> my cat will vote for you, Frederick. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it here know. first. I don't know. I think the motto is is to listen to that interview I did with Jack. It's still on the site, but also, um, yeah, in all seriousness, seriousness, read read through the terms of service on services like fa- Facebook, Flickr, etc., and make sure that you know what you're getting into when you click that upload button on your image, because you may be well, given given the given the farm away. You know, Fred, Frederick. One one other thing that I think we should say from a, from a, a photographer's perspective, though, is that. There, there's always going to be a trade-off for the risk that something like that might happen um, for the the business that it can create for you. Like yeah. portrait photographers, wedding photographers, there's a lot of social networking going on in there. And it does result in, in additional work for some people that use it right. So I think that there's always there's, there's that trade-off. And if you if you want to use Facebook as as a place to... Show people your work, or even have just en- enable people. I mean, whenever I do portrait work, I give the client. I don't. I never give them the digital, just the the original images, but I do give them like a small web-sized version of everything that they have. And I I ask them. I say, do whatever you want with them. Put them on Facebook. Do whatever you want because they're all watermarked, and people will say, "Oh, Martin Bailey took that," and then they'll come back to me and ask me to do more portraiture. So. You know, it, there is that side of it, and if if that carries a little bit of risk, fine. But it but if it helps you get more work and keeps you 
with a roof over your head, then it's maybe it's a good risk to take. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I think the bottom line is just be educated so that you can make an informed decision about what you're doing. You know, exactly. so you, you may be you may be OK with taking that risk because the benefits of the social side of it outweigh the, the risk. Right. But you need to know what you're getting into. And, and not be the, you know, the ostrich with his head in the sand, you know, and hoping everything, <laughs> everything's right. going to be okay. I'm going to click upload and they have my best interests at heart. So I'm, I'm, I'm all good. Yeah. Right. 100% agreed. Yep. All right, guys, before we go on to the next story, I want to take a quick moment to remind the TWIP Army about our Facebook and Google Plus pages. You can join our conversation, submit your questions, comments, and more. You can check us out at facebook.com forward slash this week in photography. That's facebook.com slash this week in photography. We don't have many photos up there. So, <laughs> and also, and also, um, you can, uh, check me out on my Google Plus page at fvj.me slash TWIP. Plus, um, actually, that's our Facebook. That's a short link to our TWIP page. It's fvj.me slash TWIP plus if you don't want to figure out how to connect with us on Google Plus. All right. The third story, Martin, I'm going to target this one at you initially because <laughs> because of your accent. And you're, from, <laughs> you're from the UK, obviously. Uh, but uh, the... A London college, or is it the London college? Is it, I'm reading this here. It says London college plans to offer iPhone photography course. So, and I, so let's, <laughs> let's, let's let that marinate for a second. An iPhone photography course in a college. Do we really need an iPhone photography course in a college? I mean, beyond day one, I mean, intro to photography, push the button and the camera, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Where, where do you fall on this? Does this you're you run these crazy awesome workshops in Hokkaido and around Tokyo and all this stuff? Hmm. It, does it make sense to have and pay someone money and sit down week after week to learn how to use the iPhone camera? <laughs> As um, he says with a snicker, <laughs> and, and I position that you know you could you could tell yeah. my bias, right? <laughs> no, okay, so I. I'm probably not the best person to talk to about the <laughs> about education in the UK because I basically squandered mine one 100%. I, I, I did homework one years. Um, Wait a I, minute. Say that, say that I, again, Martin, because Skype didn't like what you were about to say. So say it again. I, <laughs> I, I probably did about did my homework once in 12 years. And, nice. and you know, I, I really was not, I didn't learn the value of actually studying anything until I came to Japan when people started praising me for being able to say a few Japanese words. And then I, I actually went back and did my higher education here in Japan after yeah. I'd been, after I'd been to work for a few years. So I'm in the UK, when, when I left high school, you know, Maggie Thatcher was, was laying off all of the coal miners and there was riots going off and it was, it was not the best time to be um, leaving school in the UK. So there wasn't much point in being a very good student. But even then, I, I saw, when I came to Japan and saw the level of, of math, for example, that was taught to just like very, you know, like seven, eight-year-olds, it was higher quality education than I got when I was 15, 16 in the UK. Wow. So, but that was probably partly because of the school I went to, and I know that there are, there are some schools around, but... I um I I just don't have a lot of respect for the um at least 30 years ago for for the way they were doing things in the UK. I'm sure things are much better now, but coming back to the topic, you know, I 
I just, I mean, this is this is kind of. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to be diplomatic here. It sounds like a, a piece of crap. It's like, <laughs> Thank yeah. you. You don't have to be diplomatic. Come yeah. on. Just I, can, I want to be the counterpoint on this because I actually have oh, some I'll, jo- I'll join you, Nicole. Okay. My, well, take, well, on, my take on this is uh, – did you have something to say, Frederick? No, no. Go for okay. it. Okay. I don't see this as much of a how to use a camera class as a how to see class. You, when, it's like when I first took photography, I learned – with, it, was a, it was a film, darkroom class, but we shot with black and white film. Of course, you know, you can't really process, easily process film in a, in simply in a darkroom in a school that's color film. But when you shoot with black and white film, you learn to see composition, focus, depth of field. You know, you, you think, see things like merging, all of these things because you don't have color yeah. as another aspect to your photograph. When you're shooting with an iPhone, you're very limited with your... Uh, you know, with with your focal range, you really don't have hardly any unless you zoom in on the camera. But you're seeing, you're you're, you're learning composition. You're learning how to see. You're, le- you're learning light. You're learning all these things. It's not how to use the iPhone as much as it's how to see. It's you know, I see it more like a like an art class, just a basic art class where you know either you're painting or you're doing art history and you're just looking at images and you're talking about them. So. So do you, do you think do you think they named the I mean but they named the course iPhone photography right, right. so well, they could have named it creative visualization and then in the subtext said any camera will do bring any camera including the iPhone you know but they they led with iPhone they're probably t- I mean I'm sure that part of it's going to be processing your images and seeing the you know the creative things you can do and they probably wanted people to have iPhones just to standardize the class but I don't know I I think it's I think it could be a really cool class I don't think it's just a a, a silly, you know, like, um, what, what is the, the article said something about Beyonce classes and, you know, yeah, stuff Rutgers, like, oh, Rutgers yeah. has a course on Beyonce. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know what that, you know, what, uh, oh, it's about the impact of, of women on today's society. And they use Beyonce as a test case to show that, uh, you know, well, see, you can find, I think you can find a lot of educational things within other things. It doesn't have to be all very, you know, standardized and, and old fashioned. I, I think that this could be a really cool class. So, what do you where do you fall in this? All right, so you know, true confession, um, I've had You're teaching the class. My, <laughs> <laughs> right, that's it. That coming out of the closet. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm the proud owner of an iPhone for the last 96 hours. Um, you know, but I, I have to say, I don't think it's I don't think it's that big a deal. I looked at this and I was like, this is like you know, photo 101. And I tend to agree with Nicole. I think that um, you know, it's going to potentially bring people to the visual arts or at least to a greater sensitivity about the visual world around them than perhaps the other one. What's the number one camera used on by people who upload to Flickr and probably Facebook? It's the iPhone. You know, there I would argue to say there are more images created every second around the world on iPhones than almost probably every other camera combined. Yeah, and um, you know, I I don't know. Maybe I've just been seeing the word iPhoneography a lot lately because I just bought one. Um, but I got to tell you, if this was a correspondence course, I might even take it because there are elements about this camera in the iPhone that really excite me, but that I don't have a clue about, and I'm just a bumbling idiot with it right now. <laughs> You're it's trying to figure out how to trigger a strobe with that iPhone, aren't you? So? You know. <laughs> Well, it was nice being at the conference. Some guy walked up and said, you know, if you hit the up volume button, you can use that as your shutter. I was like, really? 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. No, so uh, I remember know, being in the car with you. We were driving up to Petaluma, and you had yeah, just yeah. gotten your i your uh, your, your Android, Android my Android, your yeah, Android phone. That was two, yeah, that you, was two years ago. And you were ranting about how it could run Flash. Remember? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You remember that? You know what though? Yeah, but you know, I finally came to the point and realized that the camera in that. Um, that particular model, the Droid Incredible, to use the vernacular is crap. Yeah. And I looked at the images that my friends with iPhones were creating. And once um, iPhones became available on Verizon, and you know, literally like a week after that annual upgrade, man, I had one, which was last Thursday. So um, I think it's I think it's a I think it's a, a class that fits into the world. And perhaps more importantly, is kind of a leading indicator of where education may be going in the future. Yeah. You know, you, you know what, guys? I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying in, in that I believe, you know, and especially if they really do get down, like Nicole said, with the, you know, an old black and white photography course, things like that, then it, as an exercise in, in f- making photography with a, you know, the, Certain limitations. I'm not going to say that that it's limited in that because I mean the iPhone 4s takes amazing shots. Well, the, you know it records amazing shots. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. Um, I, you <laughs> know I was going to correct you on that. <laughs> the the uh, it's just like your I'm oven. Not... Your oven makes amazing meals, right, Martin? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, I've I mean I've got the four as well, and and I do use it. Um, but I I think that you know the the quality of the image. Putting that aside. I think that it's, you know, what, what both Nicole and Sill are saying is obviously 100% correct and that it will be education, especially for people that ha- who just want to get an idea about what photography is about and composition and things like that. But like you said, Frederick, I think that the name, you know, it sh- I, I personally think that they should name it like Photography 101 or, or, or you know, it's something more about, what you'll learn rather than the tool to, yeah. that you'll be using to take the images with. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And maybe, you know, from putting on my marketing hat, maybe it was, okay, we want to get students to take this. And if we put it, if we name it photography 101 or creative visualization, no one will take it. So let's throw an iPhone in there. Cause that's the flavor of the week yeah. or flavor of the decade. And uh, we'll get lots of people in there and then we'll do the bait and switch and actually teach them some photography. You know, <laughs> so. but If that's what it is, then, it's got to be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. All right. I'll acquiesce. Maybe, maybe it's an okay thing. But we're gonna we're gonna watch this and see what happens with this course. All right. Uh, story number four here is about. I don't know. Is this is this a real canon? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so canon. I know you guys. We put this in here because you know all three of you love and shoot canon. Um, and this is an awesome announcement, by the way, not to diminish it at all, but they've announced uh, some new hardware. So let's see. Nicole, I'm sure you know what's going on here. Canon has announced two new prime lenses, a 24mm f2.8 and a 28-2.8 with image stabilization and full-time manual focusing, which means you can be in autofocus and then take over with a ring or with a ring instead of flipping a switch to go into manual focusing mode. Now, do you, would either one of these lenses fit into your bag? Do you need these? No, I don't. Um, I, I, the, you know, those two lenses plus the, the new 2470, I don't have any desire in purchasing any of those lenses. I have, I have a wide, I have two wide lenses. I have a 14 millimeter. I have a 24 tilt shift lens and oh, wow. I have, I, I, I haven't, I think I actually have the 28, the older, the other 28 millimeter and um 
the I know a lot of people have been looking for the you know waiting for the twenty four seventy upgrade. Yeah. But I don't really that that focal range in for me for my shooting it doesn't fit. It's a boring focal range for me. So and it's like a two thousand dollar lens. Mm-hmm. So I I have zero interest in any of these lenses. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What What about you, Martin? Are you uh, you going to put these on your list of things to get? No, I I actually I used my I've got my the original twenty four to seventy and I love that lens. Um, a, a number of people have seemed to have. Well, I don't know if it's me. I, I've just got. I might have a really good copy, but I've found mine to be really sharp and I use it quite a lot. Um, you know, obviously I mean I I shoot different types of type of work that than Nicole, but I uh, I think that the range is is perfect for some of the work that I do and I I make a lot of use of this of this uh, lens but I I would have been all over this if it had got IS I I was really hoping for the upgrade of this lens the version 2 of this lens to have image stabilization yeah yeah what about you Sil is this uh, is this on your list of things to get or you're like Nicole and you're no. like eh whatever no it was no 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 it's not a yeah whatever it's an oh gosh darn uh, with a little more <laughs> emphasis, um, as in perhaps, you know, like, what were they thinking? I, I'm with Martin's, and I've used the 2470 as, you know, my go-to lens for a long, long time. Although um, I've never really described mine as being sharp, but I'm also the guy who says, you know, focus is highly overrated. Um, I, I love that lens, and I have been holding out waiting and waiting and waiting. And I really, I really believed that the two would come out with image stabilization, which is a guy who shoots motion is, uh, I, uh, I never really paid a lot of attention to IS until I started shooting motion and you start doing a hand pan and you really come to appreciate what IS will do for you yeah. in motion. It's not always about shooting in low light. Oftentimes it's just about having a relatively steady image as you move the camera. So, you know, that said, my 2470 is going up on eBay this Sunday, and I'll buy the 24, which, while it's an F4 lens, does have image stabilization because now the answer is clear for me. Um, you know, I need an IS lens in this focal range. As as for the 24 and the 28, man, that's a total head scratcher for me. I've got it um, B&H up on the screen right now, and I'm looking, and for the, let's see, for the 24 millimeter F2.8, there's a $500 upcharge to get the image-stabilized version. These are not L-series lenses, so who knows how good the glass is. I just scratch my head saying, why would I pay almost 900 bucks for a non-L-series lens? And also, you know, you look at it and say, all right, if typically you double the focal length of the lens to come up with your minimum hand-holdable shutter speed, you know, 24 millimeters means that I should be able to handhold it a 50th of a second. I'm not really sure that I need IS, you know, to make those images stable. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, I mean, I guess just like the just like with the D800 time will tell, right? So we'll we'll get a look yeah. at what these images what these lenses can produce and then you can yeah. make an informed decision. I I I will say this though. I'll say this throwing it out. The 100mm macro 2 um and the 7200 with image stabilization both replaced lenses that I had earlier, and those two new lenses were brilliantly sharp. So it very well mm-hmm. could be that this new generation of glass 
even though it's not L-series in the two of the three lenses, is brilliantly sharp. In which case, yeah, it'll get my attention. I'll give it a look. And if you buy them, Frederick, I'll ask you to borrow them. Sure. No <laughs> problem. You got you them. Know. Yeah. Just check your mail. Check your mail. Perfect. All right. Uh, got something special for this episode. Uh, this week, This Week in Photo's own Bruce Clark sat down with wedding photographer Bambi Cantrell to learn how she got started in the business and how she made the move to high-end weddings. So if you're interested in jumping from those $2,000, $3,000 weddings and adding a zero to the end of that, um, this is a must-listen interview. Bruce also gets her thoughts on how photographers can stay current and why the word pose shouldn't be considered a four-letter word. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Photo. I am really pleased to be joined today by Miss Bambi Cantrell. Um, for those who maybe don't know Bambi, um, she is a, primarily a wedding and portrait photographer uh, based out of San Francisco, California. Uh, award-winning, very well uh, recognized uh, for her beautiful, beautiful fine art photography. Um, she's won uh, numerous awards. And I really want to thank you, Bambi, for joining us today, this week on This Week in Photo. Oh, thank you for having me. So um, tell us a little bit, for those maybe who aren't familiar, tell us a little bit about, give us the elevator speech. Tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how, how did you get your start in photography? Um, I've known since I was about five years old that I wanted to be a photographer. When I was a little girl, my parents found very early that if they gave me a photo album that I could be content for hours. I love pictures. I always have. But I especially love pictures of people. And um, you'd think that as much as I love photography, that when I got married in 1975, that I would have hired the best photographer out there. But I didn't. I hired somebody who happened to have a good camera, which really, of course, you know, it, I got exactly what I paid for, which was terrible, terrible fit pictures. And, you know, it, that was one of those experiences in my life that really changed who I was. I believe very strongly that photography, especially wedding photography, is really important. Family photography is extremely important because we're documenting human history. And I think that's important for us, but more important it is to our children and those that come after us. Um, I uh, had the opportunity to train under a photographer in California um, in about 1982. He, he needed somebody to photograph weddings for him, and so I came and, and talked to him. This was the turning point in my life because the way that I... Um, I, I literally almost lost this opportunity. I was so terrified that he would turn me down and that he would not hire me to be his photographer that I almost didn't even show up for the interview. And I'm so grateful that I finally got the courage at that day, suck it up, and then go, because I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that. And so I guess my, my point is is that it's important for us as people to not let fear rule our lives. Don't let it do that. You know, the worst thing that can happen is someone says no. Big deal. Just try. Just go forward. Nobody ever does great things where they don't try. And so I uh, did go in for that interview. He did hire me on the spot. Of course, he would. how could he turn me down? I told him I'd do it for free, and I did. I worked for him for a year without pay, just schlepping his camera gear around and watching everything he did, which was the best education I could have ever gotten. Um, anyone that knows me knows that I am... Um, uh, was not scholastically inclined, and I was. Uh, I always tell people I was at the do the top of the bottom of my class in school. Um, did not attend college or university, um, but I have learned from some of the greatest photographers out there, and, and continue to this day to take classes from people who whose work I admire because I think it's so important for photographers to stay up to date with new ideas and concepts. You know, I think photography is a lot like fashion in that it changes, and that what 
was popular five years ago is no longer in style, and and it's it's got growth and heartbeat to it. Photography does, and so I think it's important for us to keep um, changing who we are and to keep um, adapting to changing taste. And and I think that I am an artist, but still at the same time, more importantly, I'm a businesswoman, and I want photography to be my profession, and I want to be able to make a living doing it as well. That's great. Um, sort of. I guess um, taking taking off from that, there's there's a flood of new photographers entering the market. It seems like every you know every week there's a there's a hundred new photographers hanging out their shingle. Um, you you mentioned something about um, sort of humility over ability. That was I I, I really uh, keyed in on that particular uh, comment that you made this morning. What would some of your what would your advice be to not only those who are maybe getting into photography and, and looking to maybe pursue it as a profession, but maybe also to those who've been established and been around for a while who are maybe uh, you know not happy about the fact that there's so many photographers flooding the market you know how how can they differentiate the, themselves and stay relevant so sort of what would your advice be on both both sides of the spectrum i would have to say for the new photographer first learn your craft photography is not an accident it's not a group of happy accidents because you happen to have a good camera that is to me the single most important thing I think that a new photographer can learn is that they need to learn their equipment. They need to learn what an f-stop is from a bus stop. <laughs> learn how to um, learn to capture images to make people look good. Because at the end of the day, you want to flatter your subject. You want to learn how lighting works and learn how you can sculpt the body with the way that you light and the way that you pose the body. Um, I think those are very important lessons for newer photographers to learn. Um, I think that also the new photographer needs to learn to make uh, how to make a living at photography. And in other words, because sometimes as an artist, you know, our photographers are artists first and business people second. Yep. They tend to just say, well, I don't care. I do it for free. And you know what? No, because at the end of the day, you know, you want to think about it from the standpoint of, you know, you've got to feed your family and, and think about, um, and if you're not good at the business end, hire somebody to do that or get your wife to do it or your, or your husband to do the business things, the things that you don't want to do so that you can concentrate on making beautiful pictures. I would say for the photographer who's been in business for a long time, who maybe just wants to reinvent himself, the first thing I would say to that person is quit doing just the same boring things. You know, so many times I really don't think that it's just because there's lots of new people in the business that that's what's taking the business from the pro. I think the reason that the pro is losing the business because they don't do any good pictures. Everything is so boring. It's all the same. And all they do is try to become copies of what other people do. And if all things are equal, if you can do the job and you can do similar pictures that the amateur does, then why in the world would they hire a pro? And, and it seems like a lot of the pros, I wouldn't say a lot, but it seems like many people who have been doing photography for a long time or for you know five years or whatever, they never learned their craft. All they learned to do is take lots and lots and lots of pictures and then hope they had some good pictures. And they were happy accidents. And... They are so loose in the way that they're created, there's no craft in them. And if there's no difference between the way that an amateur takes a picture, if they can't see the difference in your pictures than in what an amateur takes, why would they hire you? So I think the pro needs to learn their craft as well and continue to take classes from other professionals that are doing a job that's really good. I think also the pro needs to go one step farther and create exciting, interesting pictures. And don't be afraid to create the, some things that are different. Um, embrace the uniqueness. Learn to, um, 
to uh, take not only the bread and butter pictures that we all need to take, but learn to step out of that mold and to um, uh, embrace photographing um, in a more interesting way. And if it means giving yourself a personal assignment once a month so that you can practice new concepts and things that are a bit different, then do so. Where do you, you um, like to experiment, obviously, and keep yourself relevant and, and sort of on the, uh, with that fine art edge to your photography? Where does your inspiration come from? What, what things do you look to to get your ideas and your inspiration? Um, absolutely. Number one, fashion magazines. I study fashion very, very fervently because fashion, in my opinion, rules the world. You know, uh, the way that we photograph today is, in my opinion, based upon fashion. You know, in the early 90s, um, um, photojournalism became absolutely the rage. The more unprompted style of photography that was, that was less structured and that was more about the moment, the decisive moment. And if you look at it, the style of wedding gowns that started happening in the early 90s was very simple. The wedding gowns, and there was an article written in the, the January-February issue of Elegant Bride magazine in 1994 that said, um, you know, simple, understated elegance. And if you asked a bride, tell me about your dress in the early 90s, she would tell you, hands down, and even into the early 2000s, oh, I want a, a simple gown. No beads, none of, that, none of the hanging things, and, and no sparkly stuff. It was very, very understated, which very much went with that understated approach with photojournalism. But it's interesting to see what has happened with the digital era and in the, you know, as time has progressed, because now we are in an era where the wedding gowns for this year are bling city. I mean, if you go to any runway, you're going to see lots and lots of bling. I did a, um, a bridal fair about three weeks ago, and one of the things I noticed when I was looking at the fashion show was how much bling was on those dresses. Tons and tons mm -hmm. of beads and sparkly things everywhere and very, very uh, over-the-top uh, um, uh, elegance. And what's interesting, in, in talking to my hairdresser, they're telling me that a lot of the hairstyles from the 80s are coming back. So basically, those things coupled with kind of the 80s hairstyles tells me that that kind of 80s thought process of brides is kind of coming back. So I very much pay attention to fashion, and then I use it as a gauge to help me to adapt to the style so that I can, you know, pull back on on. on certain ways that I photograph and then move forward in certain areas. For instance, the digital era is really, really popular. Lots of digital wedding albums are, are very, very popular. Wedding albums that have a bit more bling on them are, are becoming really the rage. Epica Albums from Italy has an amazing line of albums that have sequence all over them. At my bridal show this past two weeks ago, oh my goodness, I couldn't believe it. Every bride that came by my booth, the one thing they said, oh my God, I love your albums. All of these books are you know, just have tons of, they were, they were very sparkly, which really, I have to say, surprised me. But it really tells me that I'm on cue and on point with where I see the market going. And so I think it's important for photographers to be, to be adaptable. I'm not saying change your style or change who you are, but I think that it's important for us to be, in order to remain relevant, to continue to be abreast and to adapt our style to the changing times and adapt who we are as an artist to where we need to go. And, and that's why I think I'm still at the top of my game. That's, um, that's, you make some excellent points. I think staying, you know, to stay fresh and stay relevant and stay current is so, is so key. Um, t t you told us a little today about um, sort of how you made your pivot in your, in your career at, um, you know, quite a number of years ago. You sort of made this conscious decision that you were going to make this 
pivot to get out of uh, kind of maybe the, the budget or the lower end shooting of, of weddings. Talk to us a little bit about somebody that's in a similar position right now, and they're saying, you know, they're saying, I'm tired of shooting these crummy weddings at these cheap halls, and I'm always getting the low-budget brides, and, and how, sort of how did you go about that? Um, it came with personal reinvention. If I want to go after that, that clientele, that, that carriage trade clientele, that I need to know who I'm talking to, and I need to appeal to that client by my imagery, by the kind of images that I take, by the kind of albums that I use, by the kind of marketing material that I present. And so, you know, I didn't have a degree in marketing. I, you know, I didn't even, for that matter, go to college. But I decided very early on in 1994, as a matter of fact, I needed to reinvent myself because I was so boring. My, um, I couldn't even afford to hire myself. I was just so, it was awful. And so I, cho- I made a conscious decision to say, okay, well, what do the designer labels do? How do they get a client? Because their client is my client. It's exactly who I want to go after. So what are they doing that I'm not doing? So I literally went shopping. No, I didn't go buying. I went studying what they did to attract their client. The first thing I noticed in their stores, they had lifestyle portraits of people wearing their garments that looked like they were having a great time and they were beautiful people. So I made sure on my website I had gorgeous people on my website. In lifestyle, in other words, having fun, not being just static and stiff. The second thing that I did was I created marketing material for my company that was very elegant and understated. If you look at the Gucci store, if you go in Louis Vuitton, look at the beautiful Louis Vuitton bag with that gorgeous LV on the bag itself. It's not shiny. It's just this beautiful, beautiful matte chocolate brown box and uh, and matching bag, and it just makes you feel good. You want to carry the bag around. It's not like a paper bag. Now, compare that to somebody who just goes to a, an inexpensive department store like a Penny's, a J.C. Penny's. Well, what do they put your merchandise in when you buy it? They don't wrap it in tissue paper. They just take it and stick it in a plastic bag. And it kind of validates the fact that you got it inexpensively. On the other hand, if you want to appeal to that higher-end client, then number one, you have to charge more and you have to package it worthy of something that is worth more. And so that's really what I chose to do. I decided to raise my rates. I raised my rates before I did anything. Because first of all, if you charge a small amount of money, then I can tell you people who want to spend a lot of money aren't going to hire you because you're not any good. Because you're obviously not any good if you don't charge very much. There is so much to be said for perceived value. The perceived value of a product is so much more important than the actual value. Because... if, if, you know, for instance, a good example of that is in New York City on 29th and Broadway, you can go and you can buy those fake Louis Vuitton handbags for 12 bucks, mm-hmm. 10 bucks. Why in the world would any woman go to New York City and go to the real Louis Vuitton store and buy the real thing? It's because it makes you feel special. There are times in our lives when we makes us feel more special to spend more money on things. And I'm not trying to say that you should all charge thousands of dollars, but, but we all can can do better. And maybe that's part of the reason that the photography industry is suffering so much because people, photographers in general, are charging so little they don't value their work. And if they don't value it, then why should a client? And on the other side of the coin, there's a reason that some of us are still in business that do charge more. So I think that there's balance needed. And I would say don't charge thousands of dollars or a lot more for your product if you're going to put it in a plastic bag and and give them just a picture that's just, you know, a piece of, you know, just a picture itself. But go that extra step and make it look beautiful, you know, package your products beautifully, and it'll validate people spending more for your products. 
So we need to put our, our photography more in the Tiffany box and not yes, in the Walmart and bag. Exactly. And if you look at Tiffany's, there's a reason that Tiffany's packages their products the way they do. Tiffany's, in fact, is an excellent example of who to study because Tiffany's, when you go to New York City and you look at the Tiffany's display window, they have a, like a 16 by 20 window. And in that window, they'll have maybe three tiny little pieces of jewelry, but it looks like a beautiful piece of uh, artwork. It's gorgeous the way they've laid it out. In their store, they don't have things all over the place. It's very beautifully appointed, very simple, and it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. And yet, you can go two blocks to, to 47th and Broadway in, in New York City to the Diamond District of New York, and you can buy a half a carat diamond or a carat for like maybe $2,000. And yet, you could go to Tiffany's and you're going to spend $5,000 for the same, you know, for the same diamond, but... The Tiffany's makes you feel special, and there's no question in your mind that it's a real diamond. You see, sometimes if it's too good to be true because it's too inexpensive, it works against you because then maybe it's not real. Maybe it's it's not the best, and and maybe they won't even show up if they're a photographer. So I, I think that it's important for us to, to really put our best foot forward, and I think it's important for photographers not to be the purse police. You know, who do we think we are telling people what they can and they cannot afford? So I don't presume to say to someone, well, you can't afford what I'm going to offer, so I'm going to charge less. I think that's stupid. So I charge what I charge, and I believe anyone, absolute anyone, can afford to hire me. It's just, how much do you value my product? And so I want them to to value it. And, And I believe that not just rich people spend a lot of money. We wouldn't have the national debt in America <laughs> if all people bought within their means. So yeah. I believe credit cards are a great thing for, yeah. for us. Yeah, I think a lot of photographers sometimes will, will base their pricing on what they think they could afford. Exactly. And, and they forget that there's people out there that will, are willing to spend you know, a lot of money on, on good photography. Absolutely. And I, I really believe that's the single most detrimental thing for our industry is that we don't value what we're doing. And we, keep, we forget. We think in our mind, oh, well, I only paid $3.25 for that 8 by 10 but what we forget about is how many hours and hours we've sat in classrooms, how much money we've spent on camera equipment and on, on those workshops and, and invested in our career. We forget about that because secretly we would do it for free if we had to because we love it so much. But it's ridiculous for us to think about doing it for that. We need to be paid well for our services. Mm-hmm. So one last thing I wanted to talk about. Um, you're very well known for your, for your posing and for your lighting. Um, there's a lot of photographers and even you know, clients who think the word pose is a four-letter word. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on posing and, and how important that is to, again, differentiating your work and making it stand out for them, from, from other people's work. Well, first of all, I believe that that's the single most reason why people don't care about hiring a pro anymore. Well, what's the difference? There's no difference in what you do than what John Q. Public can do. And I believe that's in part because people don't pose anymore. They don't. They just say, oh, just stand over here and look cute, you know. But there's not a single woman in the world who doesn't want to look more beautiful, more thin, more slender, more curvaceous than she is. That's just who we are. It's like wearing makeup. You know, why would we wear clothes for that matter? We want to look better than we look. We want to enhance the features that we that are our best and then minimize those of the parts of our bodies that we don't want to showcase. And I think that's where good posing comes in. The, the real balance, though, is learning to pose quickly and getting people to do what you want them to do in a really fun, entertaining way. And I believe that's the key to my success, is that I understand how to pose people in such a way that they actually enjoy the experience. 
I don't take a long time to do it, and I believe that it's all because of the art of communication. I, I um, believe in looking them in the eyes and posing them in a very quick way, using visual cues to communicate with them, not using terms like left or right, because I'm thinking, if I said to you, turn left, well, who's left, your left or mine? You see, it's confusing. And so I find that there are certain simple techniques that a photographer can employ to get people to do what they want. First of all, if you want your subject to turn to a certain direction, go stand in front of them and say, hey, turn your feet towards me this way. And then there's no question about where they have to go. Use gestures and say, hey, if you want their weight on their back foot, don't use terms like put your weight on your back foot because that's a dumb photographer's term. The public doesn't understand that. They don't have a clue of what that means. But if you walk over to them and say, hey, push your hip towards my hand, that automatically shifts the weight to that leg and it'll give them a more pleasing silhouette. Take classes from people who are experienced in the art of posing and lighting. You know, really look at the classes that you're going to take and say, do these people really understand how to pose and light the body? Because if you learn how to pose that subject, especially in relation to the light source, you can flatter any subject, make the mother of that bride look as beautiful as she possibly can. You will be everyone's hero, and you can learn to do it in a beautiful way, and then people will spend more to hire you because you actually make them look beautiful in pictures. So do you think a lot of photographers avoid posing just simply because they just don't know how to do it and they think that if they say, oh, I'm a photojournalistic photographer, that that's an easy out because they don't understand posing? Um, I think it's twofold. I think that there are wonderful, hardcore photojournalists who just don't pose because it goes against their grain. I I believe that a good photojournalist can pose because posed pictures are part of any wedding. I mean, I've worked with Dennis Reggie. I've photographed alongside of him on at least two or three weddings. And I've seen him do posed pictures, and they're beautiful. He just doesn't spend all day doing them. And no one needs to take a long time to do posed pictures. They can be done very quickly in 10 or 20 minutes. So it doesn't mean that you don't take them at all. Embrace them when you do them. Say, you know what, I'm going to make the best posed pictures I can. I'm just not going to take a whole day to do them. But then I think that a, a good portion of the younger photographer, and I'm not saying young in years, but younger in experience, don't know how to pose because posing was looked upon in the last 10, 15 years specifically. It has been a dirty word. You didn't pose. If you, you weren't cool if you posed people. And the backlash to that is what is happening today, in my opinion, in that now, because that's happened for so long, hey, the public got smart and said, hey, there's no difference in your pictures, and, and I have a good camera, and they've done just as well. So they've quit hiring the pros to do the job because they say, hey, I can do just as well. And I wouldn't blame them. So I think that it's really important for the professional photographer today. I cannot emphasize enough on how important it is for photographers today to stop being lazy and get after it and learn the art of posing and lighting your subjects. And, and you know what? Own up. Own up to it and recognize, okay, you don't know something. It's all right. Get an education. There's hundreds of classes out there by you know people. I mean, I know myself. I teach, teach classes all the time from people who really do understand how to pose and light the body. Take those classes. Get some books, and um, there are some amazing books that are out there in the market, uh, and learn how to do it properly. That's fantastic advice. So before I let you go, um, what's next on the horizon for, for you, and where can people go and maybe see you next or find out more about your work? I will be teaching at the WPPI convention that will be taking place in two weeks in Las Vegas. Um, I have a platform program on Tuesday, and then I will be speaking in a couple of the different trade show booths during the convention itself. 
Um, I absolutely never miss WPPI. I, I absolutely set my calendar by it. Um, I will be going to Malaysia and teaching in, um, um, in, in that country uh, in the middle of March, around the 15th. You can find out about my class. Some of my classes will be on my website at cantrellportrait.com. C-A-N-T-R-E-L-L, portrait, P-O-R-T-R-A-I-T, Com. I will be doing one thing I'm going to be doing that's really going to be exciting this summer is I'm going to be teaching a really exciting workshop, a three day workshop with fellow photographer Don Shields, who happens to own Metropolitan Bridal Magazine. And we're going to invite uh, a small collection of photographers to join us for a three day, very intensive workshop that will deal with posing and lighting. And on top of that, you're going to get to photograph beautiful brides in beautiful gowns. And the person who does the most beautiful images for that workshop. Is going to have their images through the pages of this amazing magazine. So it's really going to be quite an amazing thing. Um, it'll, it's not up on my website yet, but it'll be up on my website in the next week or so. And oh, I'll wow. have all the details about that. Oh, fantastic. We'll be sure to link over to that in the show notes so people can go Great. head over there and learn, learn a little bit more. So that's fantastic. Well, uh, Bemi, I really want to thank you again for taking the time to, to uh, talk with us today and share your thoughts uh, with the This Week in Photo audience. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Okay, that was Bruce Clark with Bambi Cantrell. We'll link to the links that they mentioned in the show notes here. So be sure to check out her work and some of the places that she'll be showing up in the future. Okay, it's time for some listener Q&A. This is a segment when our listeners, or when our guests actually, answer questions that have come in from the audience via our website, our forums, our Facebook group, Google+, over Twitter. Remember, you can just use the hashtag TWIP questions to submit your questions to future shows. And the first question is from listener Rib Shots on the forums. He on the TWIP forums he writes, "I am strongly considering an Olympus E P3 pin as my carry everyday compact camera, but after listening to the TWIP podcast, I'm concerned over or whether Olympus will be around to service a warranty need or anything else if they fold. What happens?" Would you buy an Olympus right now? Nicole, would you buy one? Well, I'm not really in the market for another camera that's not an upgrade to my Mark II, my Canon Mark II, but I don't know. I've only had to use my warranty repair on one camera, and it was on my X100 when a lot of people had to get the lens um something with the lens, there was something wrong with the exposure on the lens. So a lot of people had to have that replaced. But I don't know. I I think you're scaring people, Frederick, with the, all this, you know, talk of Olympus. And what? Uh, what? By telling people that they <laughs> said they're going bankrupt? <laughs> no, you're right. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, I guess if you want, if you want the camera, then stop option that you're like, you know, you're like in between, then maybe go with the other option. That's a, that's a tough one. That's really a tough call. But let, let's explore that, Nicole. So you said I'm scaring people by uh, on Olympus. <laughs> so I want to clarify that. So I'm not scaring people. We're uh, this week of photo. We just report what's happening. You know. So what what do you think? So do you think that that Olympus is still viable and that no, they're going to be around and that? So so put it, it to frame it a different way. To frame it frame it a different way. Say you know this guy has been like okay you know. I hear all this news about Nikon and Olympus is awesome. They have the EP3 camera and Nikon's, you know, Canon, all this stuff. And I have, I'm, I want to go with Olympus, but I heard on TWIP that they, they reported that they filed for bankruptcy. Should I, you know, should he take his hard-earned money that he's been saving for two years and buy the Olympus, the Nikon, or the Canon? What would you do? 
Oh, I would not go with an Olympus if if you expect them to go bankrupt. I mean, Scott Boren has his predictions for 2012, and he expects that he didn't specify any, but he said, and of course, we don't know if it's going to be true or not. But he said that at least one camera, big camera company, he thinks is going to fall and fold. So I think he was talking about Olympus. Yeah. But um, I probably wouldn't. But you know, I mean. It'd have to be more – if I were to actually answer that question, I'd have to be really wanting an Olympus right now, you know, because just by all of the – you know, if, if they're going bankrupt, no, probably not. But if but what are the chances that nothing goes wrong with – you know, or that something goes wrong with your camera? Yeah. So you could get a camera. Nothing would go wrong with it. And then you enjoy the camera. Um, I don't know. Does it have interchangeable lenses? I'm not really mm-hmm. extremely yeah, familiar yeah, with yeah, it. it so get the lenses you want and then you're happy. <laughs> But and, in, in the in the defense of Olympus, they they filed. I think mm-hmm. it was Chapter Eleven, right? So it's reorganization and protection from creditors, so that they can so they can have the chance to reorganize the business in order to save it. So they haven't said uh, whatever that chapter is where they you know people come in and liquidate everything and they carrying chairs and desks out the front door. They 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 filed for protection so that they can get their act together and reorganize and reemerge hopefully as a more profitable and viable company. So just to put that out there, they, that's what that level of bankruptcy protection is, is when you, you're looking saying, Hey, uncle, leave us alone while we get our stuff together. You know, we're not going away and we think we can make a go of this. That's what Olympus is saying. They're not saying, they're not saying they're not throwing in a towel and saying, okay, it's over. Come, you know, come take our desks away and, you know, sell them for 10 cents on the dollar. Now, Syl, what about you? I mean, if you, if you were in the, the market for a camera and, and Olympus, it, I'll put the same question to you. You know, there's the Olympus, the Nikon and the Canon sitting there and you had three grand, two grand, whatever to spend. Would you, and you weren't, you know, you weren't invested in, canon as you are right now would you consider the olympus knowing what you know about their financial situation not at all you know well all right so first off if i uh, the pen as i recall is a micro four thirds camera with Mm -hmm. interchangeable lenses so number one canon doesn't have anything in that market they've not suggested they're going to enter that market nikon entered it um you know but the real question is would i buy an olympus man if I if I had a legacy and let's face it, Olympus has made a lot of great cameras through the, the past several. Oh, decades. absolutely, yeah. And it, it's you know for many many reasons a tragedy that they're in the situation they're in. But um, you know I wouldn't really let a bankruptcy filing scare me. Number one, it takes a long long time for bankruptcies to work through. Um, so and as Nicole said, this is really only a question of. Whether you're going to need, you know, warranty service. I mean, if you decide, hey, the Olympus EP3 is the camera that I have to have because, 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 I wouldn't let the bankruptcy scare me away. If you really did your due diligence, if you shot it, if you said, hey, this is the camera that sings to me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about the bankruptcy because chances are, you know, unless you get a dud right out of the box, chances are that camera is going to, you know live its useful lifespan, which in today's digital world, what is that, like 18 to 36 months? Yeah. And then you'll say, gosh, I want to know, I wish I had something else. And as I recall, um, I think the Micro Four Thirds lens mount is cross-platform compatible. So there's a possibility, at least assuming I'm correct in that regard, that you take your glass and move on to a different body. Yeah. So still, still you're suggesting look at the light and not at the balance sheet. You know, and just uh, just press forward. What about you, uh, Martin? Are you, you know, the the same question? You know, put to you. What what, what would you do in that situation? And I think it, if if I wanted this particular 
uh, you know, the the pen. Which one was it? The pen P the EP three. The EP three. Yeah. Yeah. I I think if if the listener wants the camera, then just go for it. The the there is obviously there's concerns, and you know, I I actually was looking at the pen range just a few weeks ago, um, and they you know they have some really nice cameras, and and they've even got some good lenses that will take you out to the a 300 millimeter equivalent. And these things are as light as anything. So, you know, for, for a walk around lens, which is what the listener's uh, rib shots is, uh, is talking about, mm-hmm. then I, I think it's, it, there's, there's some great stuff to be had there. Um, but, you know, like, like we're saying that the, the chances of a company like Olympus going under are very small. Um, and, and we've got to, we've got to ima- remember as well that they, they make, I think it's something like 70% of all of the endoscopes that are, that are sold around the world. And there's a lot of those in hospitals and, and clinics around the world. So, yeah, don't remind yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so, you know, their, their business is not just selling these micro four-thirds cameras. They're, they're, they're a, a huge company. And so it's it's going to take a lot more than the current problems to take them down. I mean, it was unfortunate, and they they made some silly mistakes. But I think that they'll I think that they'll live through it. And you know what? I think if they don't, then the same thing that will happen with uh, companies like Minolta, Konica, they joined together, and then Sony bought them. And look at the Sony range now. Yeah. And you know, and Sony are. I, I believe you can still use your old Konica Minolta um, or even the Konica or Minolta lenses on the Sony bodies. I'm not sure, but the I think that the Alpha mount, um, if if that's what it's called, is is still alive. And so if if something happened to Olympus, I think someone would pick it up and run with it. You know, I I, I can't imagine someone like Canon doing it, but who knows? You know, they might they might say, okay, this is a good a good chance for us to get into this market. So, so Martin, your your advice would be: damn the torpedoes, full steam ahead. If you're in love and that camera sings to you, get it and and stop worrying about the short term. Olympus is probably going to be around for the long haul. Yeah, or someone will will make it good. Awesome. All right, now a question that came in from hashtag Twip Questions on Twitter um, is from R S I M K O. Uh, I think that's just a jumble of letters. RSIMKO71 says, I am wondering how many lenses of the current Nikon lineup will be able to take advantage of the full 36 megapixel sensor on the D800. Now, um, I'm, I, don't, I don't have that camera and I don't know, but I'm assuming it's... It, there's just more still correct me if i'm wrong right i mean it's a pixel density thing right so it's not a larger gigantoid sensor with 3. Point, or 36.3 megapixels on it it is uh, a tighter pixel density correct that's how i yeah, see it's, it yeah it's 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 the fx sensors if i recall that press release right um you know i think we're uh, i think it was mike rockman on luminous landscape a couple of years ago wrote about things like this and basically where it comes down to is a lens has the ability to, you know, create so many lines of resolution and, and like the mo- the smallest amount of folk in focus information you can get. And when the micro site uh, of a pixel gets smaller than that amount of resolution, then you're going to get uh, out of focus or soft images. But yeah. in terms of how many of those lenses, man, that's an esoteric question that 
I'm sure Nikon and the forums are going to be lighting up on in the very near future. Yeah, I just see I see this massive grid somewhere on a page somewhere <laughs> that uh, that addresses this. You know what, guys? I I've seen this as Canon in, increased their pixel count and. I, I had lenses that I was very happy with with my 5D, and then when we went to 21 megapixels, half of them needed replacing. Oh, wow. um, the, the 70 to 200 was one of them. Um, the, 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 lead, the, the version 2 of the 70 to 200 is fine at 21 megapixels, and I'm sure for a, a way more. But I stopped using my old 20, uh, 70 to 21 megapixels but the thing that you need to keep in mind here and i don't do this i'm gonna be very hypocritical by saying this if if you were to look at the image at the same size say if you have 12 megapixels and you look at it at 100 percent, it will look as sharp as the same lens with a 21 mega or say for the sake of the math a 24 megapixel um image at 50 percent so, you know, if, it, it depends on how you're looking at it. If you're going to look at 100%, which I do, um, and you want to see things sharp, then you, you can out-resolve your lenses with a higher megapixel count. But, if, but the result is the same. So if, you don't, if you're not going to look at the 100% and you want everything to be totally sharp, then it, you, know, you, 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 can't, you don't need to worry about it. But if, I mean, I, I generally, if I want to get the best quality image I, I can, and so I, I've literally replaced a, a lot of my lenses over the last few years as the megapixel count went up. Wow, wow, that makes sense. You know, because you're mm. just the 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 lens might be sharp, but you're just not used to seeing it. You're used to it sharp at a certain, like you said, at a certain size when you're viewing it at 100. Mm. percent But then when it's, it, it might just not be as sharp as you expect it to be, or you thought it was. Right. I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's still it's glass, and the light's passing through a media mm-hmm. that is is not air and even air changes things mm-hmm. and so you know the, it can only focus the light to a certain size and once that light that that smallest point of the circle of confusion i guess is what is the term mm-hmm. once you once you get a circle of confusion that is larger than the si- a, a smallest the smallest point of light you can create with that lens once that's larger than the photo site the it starts to spill over into the next pixel and then you get blurred, you know. So, but but it's it would have to be incredibly large circle of confusion for it to spill over into the into three pixels. So generally, you know, you you're okay. But it's if you if you do go if you go in megapixels like that, then there are going to be some of the 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 lesser lenses that were fine at, at twenty megapixels, but they're not going to they're not going to take the the leap. And if you want them to be sharp, you know, fully sharp at a hundred percent. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's, uh, let's take question number two. This is from listener Charles Hasser. He says he's headed over to Lake Tahoe, California, and he's looking for some suggestions on where he can go to take some great landscape photos at sunrise or sunset or and, and or sunset. Um, Syl, I want to throw it to you first. Do you have any, any suggestions? If you haven't been to Lake Tahoe, <laughs> what would you suggest he do, he do in terms of just getting a great shot? I want to hear what Martin says about this because this is more up the, the you know Martin's avenue of work as a photographer. The adventurer. You, you're asking Indiana <laughs> <Yeah>. Jones, right? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, so that's what I do. I'd call Martin. I'd say, "What would?" <laughs> All right, Indiana Bailey. What would you do? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Whenever I'm going to somewhere that I, I've not been before, I know that there are photos to be, to be made there, but I've not been before. The first thing I do is I, I go to Google Earth and start to take a look, get down at ground level and look across at the lay of the land. A lot of these places actually have like 3D. You can see how high mountains are and things like that. But um, Flickr and Google are your friends. You know, just get in there and search for images that, are, that were shot at that area. And you don't need to go off and, and try to reproduce those images, but it gives you a great idea of where the images were made. And, you know, if sometimes if they've got the GPS data, you can literally just say exactly where it, you can say exactly where it was shot. Yeah. Uh, other times you might need to, if it doesn't have the, the, you know, if it's not been geotagged, then you, um, you can sometimes need to check it out on a map and try and figure out where it was shot. But you can do that by looking at the, what you're seeing in the image. If you've got a lake and then mountains in the, in one side, you can tell the lake to those mountains and so just use the the resources that you have available to your google Flickr, google earth and um, learn from what people have done and then just go out there and try and make something that's better than you've seen on Flickr. that's great you know you know there's a, a slight anecdote i remember going on these road trips with the family as a kid and we would stop at these scenic overlooks and i remember seeing these little things i think you still have them in san francisco in some places that said you know stand here and aim your photo in that direction to get a Kodak moment. <laughs> so I'm wondering if those Kodak moments will be renamed Google moments now because, <laughs> you know, like I have a little Google logo there with the GPS coordinates. So, uh, Nicole, what do you, what do you, how do you fall on this for Charles Hasser if you want to give him some tips on how to get great shots of sunset and sunrise in Lake Tahoe? Well, I actually have to echo what Martin said about especially using Flickr. Because you can go into the map view and search for a location. You can go. You can search for location. So he could say, uh, you know, Lake Tahoe, and he wants to see trees or something. And then it'll do photos in Lake Tahoe of trees. And so then he yeah. can kind of find all these spots. And uh, you know, the point isn't to go and recreate the photos. The point is to see the possibilities of what you can also create yourself. Inspiration, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And. And if you have an, if anyone has an iPad out there and is interested in doing, uh, you know, like searching for stuff like this, Trey Ratcliffe has an app called Stuck on Earth, and it's free. And it basically pulls from the Flickr archive, and it's a really beautiful interface where you can actually search uh, in locations. You can zoom in on the map and find photos that were taken in those areas. And it's 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 nice. I have a 3G iPad, so I take it with me when I'm on the road, so then I can, you know, if I'm I was on the Oregon coast uh, a couple weeks a couple weekends ago. And, you know, trying to find new places to shoot. And, oh, look, at, there's up here. This is where we want to go. So we drive up to that spot. And it was actually really helpful. So That's a, that's a, that's a great tip there because, you know, you, a lot, I get a lot of emails from people like, hey, I'm coming to the San Francisco Bay Area and I want to get some great photos. Where should I go? I think the, the generic answer to that should be go to Google Earth or go to Stuck on Earth, the, the iPad app, and just plug in there. And one thing to note on what you were saying about the Stuck on Earth app, Nicole, is that those images that come in from Flickr aren't just 
a dump of all the images that have a certain geo coordinates with a geo fence around them for an area, they're actually curated. So Trey mm-hmm. has people that are curating those images so that you don't have to be exposed to, you know, shots of people's feet at El Capitan in Yosemite, <laughs> right? You can, you actually have good shots that are in there that can, that are inspirational and high quality. So yeah. And you're right. It's a free app. So it's an, it's a no brainer if you have, you know, any, any brand of iPad or any yeah. uh, generation of iPad. You know what? We we also on the on Charles's question here about the sunset and sunrise, we you know maybe we should just give the the additional advice that tools like Vela Clock or the Photographer's Ephemeris are also really useful for telling you exactly where on the horizon the sun is going to oh, pop yeah. up. Yeah, isn't um, it crazy I, that you can do that these days? It's insane right. to me. Right. <laughs> Uh, on the iPhone, I I pr- personally prefer Velaclock. It's it's an amazing. I've been using this for years, uh, and on the iPad, I I generally use the photographer's ephemeris because it's it, it's really nice on with a big screen, and you can set how you know like if you know that there's a mountain or in the way, or or if you're on going to be on a mountain, you can actually set your altitude as well, so that it it takes that into consideration when it tells you where the sun's going to be. And those those are those apps that you can you can like if you're doing a model shoot and you know that you're going to be at you know a specific railroad track on a certain day and you right. want to you want to previs a shot in a certain direction you can plug that in and say okay I'm going to be shooting at this this location on this day what time will the sun be setting and where will it be and all that stuff so you can you can do your homework for a shot before you even set foot on the location or you can you know, set foot on the location and and get the coordinates, and then do your homework back at home, so that when you actually go there with your model, you're set and ready to go, and you're you're like clairvoyant. You can like, oh, the sun right. will be setting in two point three minutes. You know, right. so let's get the shot done. Yeah, you know? and and especially now with with a compass built into the iPhone, you can you can just line yourself, and you can have your camera virtually it pointing in that direction and waiting for the for the first signs of the sun. So it's pretty it's pretty cool the gear we've got now. Yeah. Very cool. All right, quick note before we move on with the show. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks.com. They're the, uh, FreshBooks is, a, is the easy online invoicing app for small businesses that let you basically invoice people and get paid faster. There's over 3.5 million Facebook or FreshBooks, sorry, FreshBooks users right now. And they're offering a free trial of the service for 30 days. Just uh, let them know that you heard about the service on TWIP. And uh, they have a mechanism for that on the site. And you will, you'll be able to try the service for free. It's awesome. I've been using it forever. I mean, I use it almost since around when they came out. And the main there's a million ways you can use it. And you can get really deep into it. But they have this thing where you can try it for free. Or you can have, I think, up to three clients on the service for no cost forever. You know, you just use it just like anyone else would use it with three clients. If you go beyond that, then you start paying. But with three clients, the thing is completely free. And what I use it for is for automated invoicing. So I, I have a client that I have to invoice monthly and I just plug all the information in there and the amount and when I want to invoice them and walk away and it automatically sends them an invoice and reminders and all that stuff every single month and money just shows up. So I spent like 20 minutes setting it up and I'm done. I don't have to worry about it. Like, Oh crap. Did I, did I invoice that company? Did I do this? It's just, you set it and forget it. It's really cool. So, um, I would definitely recommend it. I mean, it's one of those services that I use and it's just 
easy. I mean, it's a no brainer, especially if you're a freelancer. So be sure to check it out. You'll get, you know, initially, if you have more than three clients, you'll get 30 days of unlimited use um, and unlimited clients. No limits. Just sign up at freshbooks.com and be sure to tell them that you heard about the site or you heard about them on TWIP. All right. Um, we are winding down, guys. It's time for some quick uh, – where are we at? We're for the, the, the picks of the week. This is where they, each guest, you guys, can give your pick of the week. And this can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it is somehow related to photography. Martin, I'm going to throw it to you first. What is your pick of the week? I'm going to go for Focal, which is a lens calibration and micro adjustment tool that I, I actually reviewed this on my own podcast this week. I, uh, I I put my own podcast out every Monday, and so people can see it, there, see information on it there. But also, the I I was you know the guys over at Raycan um, Technology who make Focal were kind enough to give us a bit of a a discount. So it's, you know no affiliation or anything. I'm not. I'm not getting a kickback for any of this. They just sort of gave me a copy of the of the product to, to work with. But the beauty of it is that un, unlike all of the other lens calibration tools that I've used so far, you don't have to wait for a target to come through the post. You you literally print it yourself and stick it on the wall. Oh, cool. Um, but then when you, you plug in your camera, um, at the moment they only support a number of Canon cameras, but there's going to be a bunch of Nikon cameras in the next month or so. Uh, that they're, they're already working. They're in test at the moment. Um, but literally, you just plug in your camera with a USB cable, point it at the, at the wall. It tells you whether you're straight on or not, and you, you adjust it all up. And then um, literally press the button to calibrate it, and it just takes 30 or 40 frames at various different uh, auto, you know, the, the micro adjustment settings, maps out the one that gives it the best results, and then says, yeah, okay, so this lens needs to have plus four uh, micro calibration um, assigned do you want to set it you say yes it does it for you <laughs> and cool. so, so it, it's literally i mean the, on, the only time you have to really get interactive with it is when you have um zoom lenses because they can have a different um a different micro adjustment necessary at one end than the other and so one one interesting thing quickly here um I, you know earlier on Sil, you were saying that your the 70 to two, the 70 to 200 that you have is really sharp and I, I tested my 24 to 70, and I ended up with, I needed minus, a, a, a certain distance from the target, I needed minus micro adjustment at one end and plus the other, so I'm basically screwed on that one. But the, <laughs> but the, I mean, you set something in between, and then you, you just bear in mind that you've got that slight adjustment necessary. But the 70 to, 20, the 70 to 200 that I have, was spot on at both ends of the range, so you know the, Canon really got it right with that lens. What are we What are we looking at cost wise for Focal? So it's sold in pounds, um, which seems a little bit strange now, even though I am originally from England. Um, but it it's uh, I think the the basic version is like nineteen ninety five, and then it goes up a little bit to I think it's something like forty forty pounds, and then it's sixty nine ninety five for the full version. But with this code that we – well, we, they've set up a special page that's linked from my blog. Um, and you, from there, you get like 35% discount until the end of March. So, Very uh, cool. yeah, that, that's – for a quick link for that, mbp.ac slash 321 will take you to a page that's got a link to that, that um, discount page. 
Very cool. And we'll be sure to link to that from the from the show notes. And your your podcast is just if people want to listen to your show, Martin, it's just at martinbaileyphotography.com, right? They can get to it there or just search for Martin Bailey on iTunes. Yeah, if in iTunes, if you search for Martin Bailey or Martin Bailey Photography, the podcast there, there's two versions. There's an enhanced version and an MP3 version. It's uh, if you listen in in iTunes or on an iPhone, then go for the enhanced version. Um, but yeah, that's put out every week. I've been doing it for over six years now, almost six and a half years. That's so, crazy! Wow. Yeah, yeah. You're an old man in the podcast sphere. I love. I'm it. an old. I'm an. I'm starting to feel like an old man. Full stop. I, uh, <laughs> I, I threw a photograph of me when I was five years old onto Facebook yesterday, and everyone's quoting saying, "What happened?" And I'm like, <laughs> You're like time and gravity. Right. (laughs) 40 years and too many Guinnesses happened. That's what's wrong. I love it. I love it. All right. Thanks, Martin. Nicole, what is your, what's your pick of the week? My pick is, uh, it's a magic lantern is what it's called. And it's, I think it's only for Canon cameras. So I apologize to all the other types of photographers out there. Uh, No, it's basically what it is, is it's a firmware you can add to one of your SD or CF cards and you buy the specific firmware for whatever type of camera you have and you just put it on the card. And then when you put the card in your camera, then it works off of the uh, card and it allows you to do more things than just your standard menu items allow you to do in your camera. And one, the only reason that I actually... So you're jailbreaking your Canon cameras. Well, you're you're not really doing anything to the internal firmware on your camera. Once that, if you were to format the card instead of like, normally you have to erase the images. You don't format the card. If you format the card, you lose the magic lantern firmware and you have to reinstall it on the card. You're not actually like installing anything into your camera. I mean, obviously it's kind of a hack, uh, but the, it's I've, so far I've used it. It's been pretty safe. Uh, they don't seem to have any, um, you know, they give you a little, Hey, you know, this is doing other stuff to your camera. So be careful, but, uh, they don't seem to have any reports of it breaking people's cameras or anything like that. And the only reason I use it is because I do a lot of time-lapse and I, I had a, um, I still have it. It's just, I, I broke my, uh, my cheap Chinese, um, intervalometer that I was using for my Canon. I accidentally kind of dipped it in a little water pool that was at a <laughs> it was like I love a, how they just say that nonchalantly. I accidentally <laughs> dipped it in some H2O. It's not it was a big like deal. A, there was like a ledge by I was in New York uh, over the holidays and there was like this little like ledge by the water and I had my camera on it and it was pretty safe but there were like, you know, little little holes in it and there was a little water filled up in one of them and it kind of fell in there. And then it just slowly died after that. Uh, so it was only $20, so I didn't really lose that much on it. But I decided to download the firmware on and use that on my 6DD. And it actually works really, really well. I don't cool. have to use – I don't have to have anything connected. I just go straight from you know the camera just like a Nikon can do it. But the, it does other things too. The, the firmware allows you to – I think you can do extended intervals. Um, um, yeah, uh, not interval, intervals. Bracketing with HDR, uh, focus stacking – uh, there are a lot of things that I don't even know that it does because I haven't had it very long. <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's really kind of cool. And if you're interested in stuff like that, then it's, it'd be you know something to consider checking out. Very cool. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes, definitely. Silarina, what is your pick of the week? Oh, I'm going to point it right back at myself, Frederick. Um, <laughs> How did I know you were going to do that? Yeah, well, this is this worst. is appropriate. You need yeah. to do this. Yeah, especially since chapter one was due in like three hours ago, and here I am talking to my friends on TWIP. So, um, no, I have a new book in the works. It's called Light and Lighting, uh, and I'm really, really excited about this. Um, it's not canon specific, 
Um, in fact, it's not necessarily just about artificial light. It's a book um, about all kinds of light and how I use light and my insights on lighting. It's going to be published as part of Peach Pit's Snapshot to Great Shot series, which, yeah, yeah, Nicole's got a great book in that series as well. So basically my vision is for the book that it's it's really oriented for somebody who's perhaps just moving beyond the realm of point and shoot and wants to understand how to see light and how to use light in their images. So I've got a busy four months ahead. Um, It's due out in June. So um, what are you doing wasting time talking to us still? Come on. What's going on? No, it's a good, it's a good break. I've been writing all day. So it's always great to chat with friends online. Very cool. All right. So thanks. And quickly, my pick of the week, actually I have two quick ones. One is for the Palm Springs photo festival. I'll be speaking at that photo festival in April and I'll be doing a quick, a quick talk. Actually, it's almost two hours on uh, social media as it applies to creative people and photographers. So how to get the word out about your product or service um, and market yourself using social media and that sort of thing. So I'll put the link in the show notes, but you can just Google Palm Springs Photo Festival and you'll see all about it. And I'm looking forward to hanging out over there. So if you are a TWIP listener and you happen to be going there, please make it a point to say hello to me. I'd love to meet you. And also, I just came back from a East Coast trip and I got to tell you, a tool that I found indispensable was the Mophie Juice Pack Plus for my iPhone. Basically, have you have that. It's like a case. Oh. It's a case slash battery yeah. that slips on your iPhone and gives you another eight hours of battery life, which is I, I can't tell you how many times that little thing saved my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because it, it, ordinarily I'd be like, OK, I have my charger in my pocket. Where's an outlet? I got to go. See if I can get some life support for five minutes so I can keep going. <laughs> but this thing, you plug it in there and you're just your phone will just last, you know, yeah. as long as you need it to last. It's awesome. I, I, I don't think I don't go in. I always have mine on my it's like my case now. It bulks up the phone a little bit, but um, I got mine before I went to Vietnam because I took so many photos with my iPhone and I wanted to carry it with me everywhere. Yeah. And I didn't want to have that. Oh, crap. It's going to run out of juice because I don't know where next outlet's going to be or when I'm going to get back to the hotel. Yep. But now I feel like I almost feel naked if I don't have it because I'm afraid my battery's going to die. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like walking. It's like working without a tightrope. So, it's, so. it's a great case. Yeah. Definitely. And it suggested. comes in many different colors too. So mm-hmm. that's a that's a plus. Yeah. Even it, it even comes in you know the standard black is what I have on mine. It's just you know <laughs> I don't I don't want to draw attention to my phone. So I just <laughs> See, I, I got the bright yellow one so I could find it like, in my. You, oh, you got the steal me version. Oh, very cool. No. <laughs> No, I got the I won't lose it version. <laughs> nice. There you go. We'll link over to those guys in the in the show notes. But it's uh if you're a if you're a iPhone photographer or a heavy iPhone user in general and you you're gonna be traveling, this is one of those things that should definitely be in your bag because it it will save your bacon uh on many of many of occasions. Um and that's it, the Mofi Juice Pack Plus. All right. Kids, we are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. Martin Bailey, where can people go to Keep up with your antics. Uh, everything's linked from the top page at martinbaileyphotography.com. And if you want to hook up with me on Twitter, it's just Martin Bailey, one word, no spaces. And a short link for Google Plus is mbp.ac slash g plus. Got it. That's mbp.ac slash g plus. And that'll connect you yep. on Google Plus. Google really needs to fix that. You know, yeah. People, people are going insane with trying to figure out how to shorten their crazy long 900 digit URLs. 
All right, yeah. Nicole Young, where are you at online? Well, you can find me on Twitters at I'm Nicolesy, N-I-C-O-L-E-S-Y. I blog at NicolesyBlog.com, and I'm on Google Plus at NicolesyPlus.com. Awesome. Very cool. Thanks, Nicole. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Silarina, finally, where are you at? That is always a good question, Frederick. Um, <laughs> hey, on Twitter, you can find me at Sil, it's S-Y-L underscore Arena, A-R-E-N-A. And my blog about lighting and image making is Speed Lighting, spelled Canon's way, S-P-E-E-D-L-I-T-I-N-G.com. Very cool. All right, Sil, thanks a lot. All right, and don't forget to tune into TWIP live on the last Thursday of every month, starting again this month. Um, you can follow our Twitter or Facebook feeds to be reminded of when that show is going to be broadcast. And also, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to all of our online presences. Also, please support the show by leaving us a nice comment on iTunes. And speaking of iTunes, check out our TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way to keep up with the shows as soon as they are released. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at my brand new site, MediaBytes with a Y dot com. It's a marketing school for creatives. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. <laughs> This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. 